0: Genau mein Sommer. Jetzt mit dem Wahnsinnsschnellverkauf bei Mediamarkt. Halber Preis auf ausgewählte Einbaugeräte und bis zu 300 Euro Direktabzug auf viele vorrätige TVs und Notebooks. Weitere Direktabzüge auf Kaffeevollautomaten und Staubsauger und Restposten und Einzelstücke dramatisch reduziert. Mediamarkt.
1: Du bekommst mehr. Jetzt bei den Saturn Card Days. Exklusive Rabatte auf ausgewählte Produkte. Nur für Card-Kunden. Zum Beispiel 10% Rabatt auf den Luftreiniger von Philips. Mit bis zu 99,9% Viren- und Aerosolentfernung aus der Luft. Für nur 247,50 Euro. Saturn, du kannst mehr. Hi, everybody. My name is Dr. Jamie Madigan, and this is the Psychology of Games podcast. In every episode, I explore the intersection of psychology and video games with the help of a guest expert. This is the episode about using psychology to help esports athletes do better. If you find this episode interesting, you should absolutely go check out psychologyofgames.com, where you can find the following top five things. One, all the previous episodes of this podcast and how to subscribe to future ones. Two, hundreds of articles I've written about psychology and video games. Three, how to follow me on social media like at Jamie Madigan on Twitter and others. Four, how to support me on patreon.com slash POG if you want to get ad-free versions of this podcast and keep things going. And five, information about my two books on the psychology of video games, Getting Gamers, the psychology of video games and the people who play them, and The Engagement Game, Why Your Workplace Should Look More Like a Video Game. So personally, I find the idea of professional gamers often called esports athletes fascinating. Clearly, they're not the same as casuals like me and probably you, who just play for fun or at most to win a few matches. Even the most competitive garden variety gamer doesn't experience the same drive, motivation, incentives, and pressure to excel as a typical or even aspiring esports player. And just like other athletes, these people can train, drill, study, and pursue constant performance improvements. Even a little bit of an improvement or drop-off can mean the difference between making a team or staying on the bench, not to mention taking home a tournament prize or slinking off with nothing. With that kind of situation, you can end up with a lot of stress, destructive team dynamics, burnout, tilting, and worse. And so, with such high stakes and potential high rewards, there often come investments. Maybe in the form of training facilities, scrimmaging teammates, or individual coaching. Maybe an esports team hires a professional to help teammates deal with the demands of their profession and the tolls that it can bring. Maybe they need someone to teach the methods for persevering through setbacks and maintaining good mental health. Maybe they need someone to evaluate how their personality is going to interact with those of their teammates. Maybe they just need somebody to gather and analyze data on team and individual performance so that effective interventions can be developed and customized. Hey, those are the kinds of things that psychologists frequently do, right? Why aren't psychologists out there working with esports organizations to help their players? Well, they are. More of them all the time. And these are the kinds of topics that I'll explore with the help of this episode's guest expert, coming right up. All right. Hi, welcome, everyone. I've got a really cool episode and a really cool guest expert today. Her name is Dr. Kate O'Keefe. She's a human performance specialist who recently completed her PhD with a focus on human performance in extreme environments. Uh, investigating how people can cope and thrive in high-stress environments and high-altitude and extreme heat. But we are going to talk with her today about performance in esports. So she completed her master's degree in sports and exercise psychology, which will come into play a lot, and originally graduated as a physical education and mathematics teacher. The interest in esports came during her master's degree when a colleague first introduced the reality of esports in the professional scene. Uh, from there, she and a couple of her coursemates set up The Mental Craft, which is an eSports psychology consultancy. Uh, through that, they began working with a host of professional and amateur individual gamers and teams, especially the European League of Legends scene. Uh, she also worked with a company called G-Science as their head of performance psychology. Uh, she's previously worked with a host of professional teams, in- including Fnatic and Gamers Origin, And currently, she's a consultant working with G-Science on a partnership with Prodigy, a leading esports representation company. At the moment, she's also completing a postdoctoral research position focused on monitoring mental workload and mental fatigue. Dr. O'Keefe, Kate, that sounds like a lot. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like you've stayed busy. Um, but i'm i'm excited uh, to have you on so kind of unpack some of that like how does your your background and your interests relate specifically to to video games and to esports
0: yeah so first of all thanks for having me on i'm excited mm-hmm. to be here um so first of all you might think well you did a phd in extreme environments how does that relate to esports and i get asked that a little bit and it's you know as we'll talk about later on in the show i uh, Show the podcast. I'm sure is that um, a lot of the skills um, in high performance and performance under stress and in extreme environments directly translate to performance in, in esports because it's <laughs> all high performance and performing under stress, uh, etc. So just to give you a little background, then I suppose into how I got into it. Um, as you said, it was really through my master's degree, and it wasn't until then when I was. That was about five years ago now. And before that, I had no experience in esports. Um, I'd say, you know, just watching FIFA, my brothers play FIFA would be the, the height of it, really. Mm. And then it was kind of one day um, during we were presenting our thesis ideas uh, in our master's class. And one of my colleagues presented this idea of esport performance. And I think it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people in the class were kind of like, what? This is... Those this is really
1: real. go together yeah.
0: yeah like this is because like normally like uh, I grew up thinking you know like um well first of all esports wasn't the word for it it was just you know gaming or playing games mm-hmm. Um, and we would kind of be taught like from my educational background and teaching that no you shouldn't spend all day inside sitting down especially from a physical education teaching standpoint like we'd be encouraged to use like electronic methods to try and keep kids active but like keep kids active not playing games for prolonged periods of time so my whole viewpoint was always um oh that's just recreational time and that's it so when I was presented with this whole idea that no esports is has many different games it's not just FIFA and people are actually you know climbing ranks and um, playing in professional tournaments and getting paid to do this and it wasn't until I stepped into working with my first professional team that I really saw the absolute skill and um, the, the cognitive abilities that is actually required to be an elite esports player. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyways, then um, what happened was after after realizing the, the reality of esports and what's going on in the esports world, Um, me and a couple of my colleagues were really interested in seeing how we could apply the concepts of sports psychology to eSport performance. And that's kind of when we developed The Mental Craft, which was, um, it's an online platform, still exists, if you want to look it up. Um, And it's basically uh, a platform and it was an idea that we wanted to create um, kind of awareness of how sports psychology can be used to enhance gaming and esports performance and it wasn't just about performance it was also about wanting to create this holistic picture of how we can help well-being how we can prepare athletes esport athletes for lives after esports it was Mm -hmm. like we wanted to draw on so many different uh, scientific domains like psychology like physiology like movement science and also um, ergonomics to try and bring this all together and and see what happens it was it was a real kind of like let's try attitude rather than we hadn't really a clue <laughs> starting so off.
1: Was that pretty cutting edge or was like anybody doing that kind of stuff at the time or were you guys on your own?
0: No. So it's funny because uh, we definitely were one of the first teams to, to um, bring about this, but there were, there were definitely um, sports psychologists already working in the field. Um, yeah. For example, one um Weldon Green he he was working with a few teams at the time and probably one of the first to really uh, promote the idea that sports psychology can be applied to esports and he actually was one of my lecturers in so I did my master's in Finland at the University of Uvaskala. Mm-hmm. and uh, Weldon Green was one of my teachers He was actually teaching me academic writing and not esports or anything to do with it <laughs> but he did uh, mention it a few times and that kind of spurred us on to look into it as well and um, so yeah, there was there was him anyway as definitely a, a role model in the field and and a couple of others, but uh, really not many for sure. Yeah. And especially the idea of like psychology, maybe we'll accept uh, working with a sports psychologist, but like physiologist, strength and conditioning, nutritionist, da da da. It was kind of like you know, like just we don't need it. Kind of yeah. kind of uh, kind of attitude, but. Um, Surprisingly, we we set up the the mental craft anyway, and within a couple of weeks, we had already secured uh, positions in some of the the top teams in the EU LCS as it was back then. Now it's the LEC, which is the League of Legends um, tournament in Europe. Yeah. So that was kind of where it all began, I guess, uh, cool. in the professional scene.
1: So so let's back up. You mentioned sports psychology uh, a few times, and kind of one of the things I'm the more people in psychology I talk to, the more I'm surprised, at, like all the different um, types of psychologists there are and all the different corners of the discipline. Um, I think it's kind of unique that way. But what is a sports psychologist, like traditionally? Um, you know, What hmm. types of things are sports psychologists trained to do and what do they typically do in practice?
0: So I guess as a sports psychologist at its uh, truest sense is uh, a, a psychologist that you know draws on the basic psychological principles and applies that to a sport setting so it's all about optimal performance preparing athletes for consistent optimal performance and also well-being uh, as well ah. uh, and it's kind of so on its own it's it's that and it's um. but as a discipline it's it's so much more than that because it does draw on you know different scientific fields like I said earlier like physiology like biomechanics like mm-hmm. um ergonomics as as well so it's it kind of um i mean that's the basic yeah. <laughs> the basic principle of a sports psychologist um i would really for me i would classify myself as not a sports psychologist but more so a sports psychophysiologist because in okay. my practice personally i use an awful lot of psychological tools and physiological tools so and i think that is the way sports psychology is going and how it should be because we should be having this multidisciplinary science supporting this because you can't have a the the mind and the body are not different they're not separated and therefore i really advocate always for you know when you're going in to do an intervention with a team for example let's say to um to monitor emotion or to try and help combat Uh, choking or tilting as it's called in in Mm esports like you really want to you you have the psychological tools to help players but you also really want to monitor want to monitor that physiological reaction to the stress as well and uh, I think that that as well is where research is going in the field. but I'm sure we'll talk about that yeah
1: yeah I mean it makes sense because if you're even in other domains of psychology if you're trying to do an intervention or help somebody then if they're not getting enough sleep and they're getting poor nutrition and they're hung over all the time or something like that, like those, those are vectors towards helping that person with their mental health issues as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Or their performance in in your case, or actually in my case too, for, you know, uh, industrial organizational psychology. And we're talking about performance of people and, workplaces that do not involve a pitch or a you know a team sitting down yeah. and playing League of Legends or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. how how do you think all of this applies to to esports? Like what's what's the overlap in your experience and what have you what did you learn about traditional sports psychology that you were like, "Oh, this clicks" or like this is helpful for working with these esports athletes?
0: Yeah, so um it's funny because when you think about it and like a lot of sports psychology and especially like the the majority of research in the area is all to do with traditional sports and you kind of think like oh well this is not going to be applicable to esports but actually even research recent research in the in the field of esports psychology in particular has even suggest like shown that you know the same skills apply and can be used from traditional sports to, to esports players. I mean they are experiencing the same things. Um,
1: like, give me a so, for example. Like, what are some of those skills that transfer?
0: Yeah. So, um, for example, you know, so esport players they they're performing in a high stress environment. Like traditional sports, they're also performing in high stress environments. So, skills, for example, that we would want that we would transfer would be, for example, emotional regulation, mm. um, pre-performance routines to help players kind of enter that optimal zone of arousal before performance so they're not too anxious or they're not 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 aroused at all or enough to play well yeah and so other ones would be like so relaxation strategies like you know deep breathing like progressive muscle relaxation trying to you know Mm. down down regulate that uh, intense emotions before or during uh, or after uh, performance and then other things like you know recovery strategies trying to recover Mental energy and physical energy so that you can perform well and consistently the next day. Um, And then other examples, um, imagery, self talk, your basic psychological skills can all be transferred uh, to the esports domain. So essentially, what I'm saying is um, there might be some things you might have to alter. Like, for example, uh, what's unique to esports is that they do have different words for different things. And that's something that you you'll find out when you go in to work with e athletes, you know, as I said earlier, like choking is a, as a word in traditional sports for, you know, you're under high pressure, you have intense emotional reactions, you lose focus and you essentially you mess up. Well, in, in e-sports, that word or that kind of concept is known as tilting. So that's kind of unique to esports and something that you'll, you need to learn quite quickly when you enter the esports sports world, but you should pick up. Um, so, yeah, like, I think there is this kind of notion that maybe you it's not the same and traditional sports like can't work in an esports sports like setting, but yeah, you can. It's just a different uh different way. Like it just yeah. different words and you know.
1: Um sounds like a lot of the yeah. same the same concepts and you know, focus and maintaining regulation and emotions and reactions to things going on and keeping motivation high I imagine yeah it's relevant in all those contexts um you
0: could could nearly say like in some ways sport psychology interventions and um you know cognitive interventions may be even more beneficial for esport athletes due to the the fact they are cognitive athletes rather than cognitive and physical athletes that tradition in traditional sports you might have. Um, mm-hmm. so hopefully, I mean, we'll see, <laughs> there's yeah. a much more scope for research to be done in, in that way. But yeah.
1: So what about like teams of players? Does the work that you do usually focus on individual, uh, players or athletes, or does it do you work with like groups and teams of people at the same time?
0: Yeah. So, um, the common kind of approach, so I I largely work with teams, but within that, then you would also work with with individuals. Mm-hmm. So mostly you would or I have gone into teams um and worked with teams on a broad scale. So working on, for example, building a high performance environment, working on team culture, team values, team mm-hmm. goals, and all that kind of thing. And then uh then going down on to breaking it down into an individual level, then so working with each athlete individually and then seeing what their ne- specific needs are and working with them on a one-on-one basis. Yeah. So it's both, and and really you can't have one without the other. Both have to to be working at the same. Like you you can't have a try work with an athlete and try and see progression and results if they don't have a team that's going to support that. So you really do need to work with both. And sometimes it's quite hard if you just have are working with an individual player and not the team because the team could be the problem.
1: Yeah, it, it seems like the, the team stuff is important. There's this concept in organizational psychology called uh, shared mental models, where mm. it's like a mental like map or understanding of like a concept, like say, for example, the rules of a game or how you engage with other players or what the capabilities of different you know characters or heroes in, in a game like League of Legends are. Um, and to the extent that everybody's like on the same page and everybody has the same mental model that they're working from, they can do things like, oh, I can predict when my teammate is going to have this crowd control ability ready, or I can predict when my, um, you know, abilities are going to be off of cooldown, and and so I can like go in and and be more aggressive or be I need to be more defensive, um, yeah. and it seems like that is. As relevant in esports as it would be in in more traditional sports of knowing where my team's going to be on the field or what play is being executed or what the capacity of the different players are. Um, do you ever work with anybody like developing those kind of mental models, or is that somebody else's domain?
0: Um, I haven't, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah it's like definitely something to explore for sure. I mean there's so many different like it's it's like we said earlier like there's so many fields that cross over yeah. and that can be applied and all these different models and and knowledge like should be applied and that's why like there um there's such a need for more skilled researchers from the occupational domain and and, partic- and practitioners I mean from the occupational domain and psychology yeah. and performance domain uh, to combine. And see what they can do together, kind of kind of thing. Totally. Um, but yeah, no, I haven't directly worked with that.
1: Cool. So, you you have mentioned some of the things you that you have done. So maybe we'll get into some more specifics now. Yeah. You know, what what kinds of of models, findings, theory, et cetera, that kind of stuff from from psychology, uh, can people like yourself use to help players do their job better? Like, like, do you have any favorite examples of kinds of things that you like to go in and and apply in those situations?
0: Yeah. Um, so, I guess just to start off there, like, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the field of performance psychology and applied practice in general. Trying to take a model that's been validated and criticized in in research and trying to apply it in in real world domains and especially for for coaches um trying to like trying to, trying to take those models and make them coachable and trying to make them like easy to understand and that's definitely a big challenge for uh, the field and definitely something that I think would help in in uh, moving forwards but just to give an example then of a couple of ways how I uh, interpret models and adapt them and employ them in when I go into teams um I'll give you an example of three. So uh, the first one, I think, uh, and it kind of, it's more or less the first thing that I would do when I go uh, into a new team environment is to assess the team environment. And, and it's really, I'm really looking at like, what's the level of challenge, what's the level of support and what's the level of growth mindset that's been facilitated in the team to help these players and teams grow. And -hmm. it's kind of based and this whole, i kind of base this on, um, it's more of a matrix model kind of um, thing, <laughs> a yep. matrix. And it, it's called the um, Challenge Support Matrix. And this is by uh, two researchers uh, in England, um, Fletcher and Sarkar, and they do a lot of work in building team resilience. And mm-hmm. um, basically in this model, there's four kind of categories that define a different environment and, and what's the best environment to get to to, uh, to facilitate that growth and motivation and consistent optimal performance. Um, mm-hmm. So the first one of these um, kind of environments is called the stagnant environment. And this is an environment that has low challenge and low support. So this is one where you're just really not going anywhere. You're yeah. fine, but you're not going anywhere. And there's no type of, uh, you won't really reach a high performance environment mm-hmm. in, in there. The next one would be an unrelenting environment. And this environment is actually the one that I would say is most common in esports um teams, and definitely the most common that I've seen um, myself. And this is one of high challenge um, but very low support. So this is where you get a lot of burnout, stress, isolation, conflict, communication problems. And uh you obviously have esports players that are there to would pressure to win, 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 but you have no support, and and that's where uh, a lot of the issues arise. And so what is
1: what does support typically look like in that context? Is that
0: yeah? So support in this context would be the coach athlete relationship. So coming, uh, you you kind of for so first of all, from the coach, you want to have a coach athlete relationship that fil- that facilitates communication, collaboration, uh, mm-hmm. coordination. And, and one that is of mutual respect, trust, and, and support. And this doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of the reasons why esports um, environments not fail, but, but don't, under, don't reach their potential is because they're not, they don't understand these concepts and they don't um, want to learn. Because, well, not that they don't want to learn, but it's kind of a really transient environment where people are constantly changing. There's new players, new staff, not enough time to develop this high performance team and not enough energy to focus on it so it's not that they don't it's not that they don't want to but more so that they can't or don't have time or, yeah. or that kind of thing um so that's that's what support means so it's kind of like that co- developing that coach athlete relationship but also other um, mm-hmm. performance staff and also uh, support between the players mm-hmm. uh, so it's kind of like that whole whole concept of um of you know team-wide support and right. enabling people to you know develop their own personality within the team and that's what you'll kind of want to facilitate you that support
1: got it thanks
0: um then the third one then would be what's a comfortable environment so that would be low challenge high support so <laughs> low of support everything's great but you're not really getting that you're not really going anywhere you're right. not really trying new things you're not learning new skills and then the last one which is the one you want to get to and one that we would want to base uh, try to get try to get to is called a facilitative environment. So this is the one with high challenge and high support. So it's one where you see lots of growth, lots of motivation, you have lots of support uh, between the team, between the coach, between the entire performance staff, and you have essentially high expectations for each other and you have that kind of accountability and responsibility in place to do the best that you can. And that's the environment that you want to get to. And that's what I try to achieve. Uh, Normally, what people want to be achieved in in three weeks or two weeks or a day. But uh, obviously... You come in for the
1: afternoon and and get us there (laughs) and you fix it. Yeah,
0: exactly. But uh, yeah, it's definitely important to know that these things are not a quick fix or anything that any performance uh, coach comes in to do is never a quick fix and these things take time and often sometimes years and, and sometimes even you have to go in and break the whole culture down yeah. and start from scratch and sure by the time the split's over then it's everyone's fired because you didn't perform well and then <laughs> right. you know yeah. you just you start again so yeah so that's that's kind of the first one of the first models that I would try to um focus on when I go into a team um, the second one is kind of individual related, so it's kind of related to the esport athlete um, themselves. And it's this model from cognitive psychology, and I actually focus a lot, of, a lot of lot on it in my PhD, and it's called the parallel processing model, mm-hmm. and it's by um, a researcher called Rojewski. And what this is all about is that we all have a limited cognitive capacity and we can only attend to a certain amount of stimuli at one time mm-hmm. so for an e player who's a cognitive athlete we need to ensure that they are able to use techniques like such as distraction or dissociative techniques um to help try and you know manage distraction or manage any internal cues or external cues that might distract them from the task at hand. Mm. Um, so we know that cognitive athletes are esport athletes do have enhanced cognitive abilities, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that they don't, that they have so much ability that they can play for long periods of time. That's not the case. Some things like um, heat, uh, which is an external cue, fatigue of the wrists, um, an emotional response to a, a scenario in game, all of those things. Might become an issue over time, and the player might actually focus on those over focusing on the game. So, um, that model is kind of a lot of base, base, is the basis of a lot of the work that I would do to try and help uh, players develop distraction techniques, dissociative techniques to try and disengage from the pain or fatigue that they might experience in their lower back, for example, or in their wrist, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to try and you know, calm down that additional anxiety that they may experience before going on stage, during game, or or whenever. So, that's the second kind of thing, and the second model, and the last one I'll just briefly mention. And it's a very common model, and um, and I use it a lot with eSport athletes pre-performance. And it's I mentioned it earlier, and it's about um, surrounds arousal. So it's uh, mm-hmm. called the inverted U hypothesis, and it's based on trying to get an athlete into their optimal level of arousal before performance so you don't want to be too high because that will impair performance and um could also induce a lot of anxiety and you don't want to be too low because you might be asleep <laughs> you might not be uh have enough stimulation to perform the task at hand so you want to try so it's it's, it's a constant kind of um it's a constant research project with an individual from st- from the beginning of getting to know them until you, you finally find the sweet point of trying to figure out what's their individual zone of functioning because everyone's different. Some people might perform really well in a low arousal scenario. Maybe that's the best place for them to be before performance, but it's just about trying to find that for each individual person and really trying to, um, you know, develop that individualized program based on that.
1: Do people vary a lot from, from person to person in terms of what's optimal for them in that way is.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. And, Yeah, definitely. And I often find it's really related to personality characteristics. You know, like a lot of um, players might have, for example, higher trade anxiety levels. And if that's the case, then before performance, they'll have even higher state anxiety levels, which will completely throw them off before Mm -hmm. performance if they can not self-regulate that back down to a baseline or back down to an optimal level. And then you have other people who might have um, you know, high self-esteem, high confidence, etc., and they might be really low in arousal, <laughs> prior to performance, and that actually impacts their performance quite a lot. So, yeah, it's definitely different, and definitely a case of you know, doing a personality profile with each player as well as trying to figure out what their optimal physiological and psychological states are.
1: Yeah. So, what kinds of um, what kinds of unique challenges does esports bring, especially relative to you know more traditional? sports and working with fit more physical athletes is there anything about e-esports that is particularly challenging or maybe the flip side is there anything about it that makes your job a lot easier because it's in the context of a of a video game or an electronic uh, inter- interactions
0: yeah um i guess what's unique um i mentioned earlier on was you know like the language the the, um, the new style of athlete, you know, it is a cognitive athlete. So I kind of feel like sometimes I, I did say that a lot of skills are transferable from traditional sports to esports, and that's true. But a lot of other models from especially the cognitive psychology domain, which a lot of sports psychs, psychologists might not use um. Predominantly, they might use, you know, the more traditional approach and do work well. So like one of the models I just explained earlier and using techniques that focus on, you know, monitoring mental workload and mental fatigue, which are cognitive constructs. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's unique to to, I find to esport athletes because they are there for long periods of time and they have like adapted to this um, digital intelligence kind of thing. And it's kind of, uh, I find that really interesting. And I love trying to find out, like, what is the, the limit, like the cognitive capacity limit for esport athletes compared to someone else, someone else who spends their day at, um, computer or someone else in a traditional sport, et cetera. So that's interesting. Also, I I guess another challenge, maybe not so much, but you know, it is a new field of research. Uh, whilst there is a lot of research coming out and it's definitely a fast paced, um publishing and research area at the moment yeah. um we still don't know everything or a lot uh, based on you know what physical interventions might help um and what psychological interventions are interventions are best and what's the best way to help players you know transition post-career and um, because you know that is one of the biggest field challenges at the moment just to Cause um, you probably know yourself that like e-sports players, professional careers are quite short. So yeah, uh, especially-
1: they're done by the time they're like 12. From
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: They're old. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so true. And like, by that. <laughs> it's actually
1: thing- kind of funny. I have a 17 a year old daughter who is very, she plays a lot of competitive shooters, especially like, like Overwatch and those yeah. types of things. And she's at age 17, she's starting to complain like, about these young kids (laughs) the fact that she can't keep up she's not a you know an e-athlete of any kind but uh she does even she's getting in on that joke as well
0: that's actually so interesting you say that though because it's a little bit off topic but um one of the areas that i'm absolutely so interested in and definitely watch the space because um there will be definitely work coming in, in the future for this but um is regards female esport athletes because mm. a lot of research in the area of just not, e- not esport related but just cognitive performance related um, you know the traditional idea was that oh males and females have different cognitive abilities but well, actually more recent research is actually saying no they don't and a lot of yeah. uh, cognitive processing abilities are the same and maybe some of the reason why there might be some discrepancies is due to the menstrual cycle because we know that the menstrual cycle does have some impact mm. on cognitive performance depending on what stage you're at but more often than not some of the research is showing or uh, some of the recent recent research is showing that actually there isn't that much difference between cognitive abilities between male and females so yeah will we have mixed gender teams in the future will we have females and males in the same competition um should we and and all these questions are are there and definitely definitely there is not like the research is predominantly uh, on esports is all male orientated and we can't obviously we can make assumptions that that the outcomes of that research transfers but we always have to remember obviously females are not little men (laughs) and we need to do independent research on females too and that's definitely something that we should aim for in, in the future
1: yeah, I mean culturally it, it tended to be cultural reasons why men are dominate esports, why why there tend to be few female esports athletes. Like
0: Yeah.
1: I think and hopefully that's changing.
0: I yeah, mean for sure. more and
1: more girls and women are playing video games every year. How oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the actual like the typical Depending on how you slice it, but you know the typical gamer is is female, so I would be interested to see that how that research yeah. picks up. And yeah, anybody's writing grant proposals out there right now. That seems like a, <laughs> maybe a fruitful uh, area.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then just going back to the question. Then the last thing I'd say on that um, about what's the unique challenges. Um, the last one would be what I already said there earlier about how the environments are so fast paced Mm -hmm. and the turnover of athletes and employees in a team is just insane. Um, So you'd have like, and if you're not performing, (laughs) you're gone. If you don't see results from a performance coach, you're gone. Like it's a very transient field and it's kind of, I think a lot down to, you know, especially with the performance, hiring of performance coaches, like I think it's a lot down to like, Uh, The awareness of how long it takes or the education for uh, on how long it takes to implement teach and implement effectively a program or any of that kind of stuff and you know like yeah it's all about getting that buy-in I guess and it's kind of difficult especially when you set off with a team like you you probably spend the majority of your time trying to convince them (laughs) that Mm -hmm. this this might help them and you know then it's all down to like you know the motivation and the constant like
1: it's... going at
0: them to, to, to practice. But then there's always a line, like if they, th- you can't always be on their case. Like they have to take responsibility for their own right. progression at some point. So, you know, I guess.
1: Yeah. Changing culture and, and changing like processes, like ways that we do things in this organization, you know, and procedures and sort of habits yeah. that takes time and resources.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, for
1: and sure. buy-in. So yeah, yeah. there's, Probably a huge like consulting aspect to all of yeah. this as well.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, getting people to change behaviors is difficult. Uh, oh, as
0: we from behavior. other contexts. Yeah, for sure.
1: So, for sure. what uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that esports is much more cognitively demanding, loaded mm-hmm. than than a typical other uh, lots of other activities and lots of other sports. Um, but is there a physical aspect to being an esports athlete as well? Have you found that you know there's physiological things that you need to attend to or or address? Does it take endurance, strength, any of those types of things that you might normally not think of as when you picture an esports athlete?
0: Yeah, so um there's only been a few few research papers on on that topic, you know, physical physical activity interventions Mm -hmm. but we know already from other domains um exercise physiology etc that you know exercise does improve cognitive performance Mm. um and obviously this is something that we need to to apply and and see what happens in in the esports domain but you know a healthier more physiologically sound person you would assume (laughs) um has a you know Like you are, it's it's not so much even that you're developing like anything cognitively wise, but you know, by doing physical exercise, by doing anything that you know puts stress on the body, you're learning to adapt, you're learning to cope with stress, you're learning to build endurance. It's kind of a you are developing those psychological skills that are associated with performing exercise and endurance performance and strength training, etc. So it's kind of from that perspective, you could say like, you know, like you can enhance your psychological skills through doing physical performance. But aside from that, you know, physical performance uh, in terms of strength conditioning and in terms of recovery and rehabilitation is so important for gamers because we're seeing so many injuries in terms of, you know, carpal tunnel in the wrist, mm. uh, tennis elbow in the, sh- in the elbow, shoulder injuries and uh, lower back injuries. and And a lot of that yeah. can be prevented from uh, appropriate rest, appropriate recovery and appropriate strength training and ergonomics
1: too i imagine and right?
0: ergonomics yeah and that's another huge area like that that there's so much that can be done like from like you know the chair the desk height the the like the the bloody or the what do you call this green this green height and the, yeah, the monitor, distance yeah. yeah the distance from where you're sitting and all that kind of thing and and definitely uh something definitely like there, there is scope for ergonomists to come in and, and help with this area because it's whilst you might think, oh, cool, like these these sport teams, they have like really expensive chairs for sitting on that are really ergonomically sound, but they don't know how to use them, yeah. and like they like the this information is definitely needed, and um, I'm sure like there's so much work for ergonomists in the field of what I'm trying to say, but and, yeah. and also I mean. From my perspective as well, like I'm in, I did, I worked in an environmental ergonomics lab for um, the last three and a half years, doing my PhD. And from what I learned and how I've applied it to to esports in that context is to do with, for example, you know, increased cognitive or carbon dioxide is going to lower cognitive performance. And a lot of gaming houses, a lot of places where teams practice are in dark rooms, not lit properly and no airflow. And that's a problem because. That's going to increase drowsiness, etc. And also, the other thing I'll mention uh, briefly is temperature. So we know that a certain level of heat is going to increase performance, but then if you go too hot, it's going to decrease performance. And, and the same with same with cold. So you want you want to you know get the temperature right, get the carbon dioxide right, get airflow, get light, get the optimal environmental uh, conditions. Definitely something that teams uh, should look into for sure yeah
1: and and what happens when you pack like a whole team of six or more people into a small room and then load it up with uh computers with beefy video cards that are outputting like all this heat fans it's it's true
0: yeah
1: yeah nobody can crack a window or
0: yeah no windows it's like (laughs) little dungeons Yeah. yeah cool
1: so let me, let me take this opportunity to insert an ad break here. If you are listening on the uh, premium version of this because you're a Patreon supporter at uh, patreon.com slash POG, then you will not hear an ad here and you'll continue on with the conversation. Otherwise, uh, we'll be right back. Du bekommst mehr. Jetzt bei den Saturn Card Days. Exklusive Rabatte auf ausgewählte Produkte. Nur für Kartkunden. Zum Beispiel 10% Rabatt auf den Luftreiniger von Philips. Mit bis zu 99,9% Viren- und Aerosolentfernung aus der Luft. Für nur 247,50 Euro. Saturn, du kannst mehr. Marke bei Aldi kann so richtig. Lecker. Und ist diese Woche noch günstiger. Müllermilch, verschiedene Sorten, zum Beispiel Schokogeschmack. 400ml, jetzt 50% günstiger. Statt 99 Cent zum Original-Aldi-Preis für nur 49 Cent. Kann viel, kostet wenig. Entdecke die ganze Markenauswahl, jetzt bei deinem Aldi. So, one of the other one of the other things that I want to ask about is, um, is measurement. So, measurement is sort of core to the idea of psychology, right? So, we... Especially in the areas that I'm familiar with, you know, we measure people's um, personality, we measure their performance, we measure their skills, we measure their um, behaviors, and and take record of all this kind of stuff. And it seems like it's something pretty core to sports as well. You measure people's speed, their batting average, their accuracy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's actually kind of one thing that I've always been jealous of like sports where it's very easy to measure an athlete's effectiveness in a lot of ways. Like, you know, you can measure how fast can they run, you know, 200 yards or a mile, how accurately can they throw by how many, you know, um, passes are complete or how many points are scored and all that sort of stuff. Where in the world of work, it's much more ambiguous in most occupations because you kind of have to quantify like, how good is this person at working with people or how good is the product that they develop? Um, so what is the role of measurement and assessment in the work that you do that you do and how does it being in the domain of video games make that easier or harder?
0: Yeah. So first of all, it's um, mass, it's a massive part of um, monitoring performance and well being. Mm -hmm. Um, but the answer to the second question is that there is an awful lot of resistance and not, it's not that they're not willing, but it's again, going back to that whole education thing and the whole awareness, uh, if you need, if you need, especially, uh, elite level players to, uh, continuously fill out a questionnaire every day. Or, or even once a week, you know, that uptake is quite hard. Um, and it takes an awful lot of buy-in at the beginning to, to try and teach how important it is to fill out these questionnaires or do these measurements. Uh, Cause a lot of it is that, like by themselves, it's an independent and then you, you kind of rely on them to send it back, especially nowadays with, you know, virtual coaching and you're not yeah. physically there and all that kind of thing. Um, it's a little bit difficult
1: self report always difficult yeah
0: oh yeah definitely um so what i I myself um really really like advocate for the use of psychophysiological me- measuring tools and um for example heart rate variability so that's a measure of you know stress psychological stress and also recovery mm-hmm. then another one that i would recommend um, is galvanic skin response yeah. so this one is uh you know monitoring um i would monitor on the foot so that's monitoring uh, psychological stress and that can be done in game to get an example of how they might be using their psychological skills to combat emotional responses for example mm-hmm. so these are ones that that, that one will be kind of like yeah you it wouldn't be a uh, monitoring over time it would just be monitoring every day whereas hrv you know you can wear the watch or you can also I mean, Garmin have their new eSport watch out, and yeah, there's really? a lot of new technology that is up and coming. Garmin, yeah. Garmin has
1: a any e- a, a watch that's specific for eSports athletes. Yeah, that yeah that surprises me, but it should not <laughs> when I think about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, so they have that out. Um, so there's so many new technologies. What I'm trying to say is coming out, but mm-hmm. then other ones that I would use. Then you know, you want to monitor sleep. And that's a big thing with e-sport athletes. Like, you know, uh, some people, they, they wake up at, you know, around 11, 12, game all day long until eight or nine, stop and then game until two, you know, and it's kind of like getting, trying to monitor that and see what, like some, in fairness, they even though they go to bed at two, you know, they're waking up at 12 or so, so they're still getting their eight hours sleep, but it's about ensuring that it's, you know, optimal and that it's, quality, it's yeah. facilitating, uh, yeah, quality. Um, So that's another thing. And then, um, you know, I'm obviously interested in their psychological states. So, you know, regular mood monitoring. Um, I'm interested in their personality profiles. So, at the beginning, um, and then seeing how that might change over time after psychological intervention. Um, I'm also interested in, um, so for example, we might use eye tracking. Um, Mm. I don't personally use that, but it has been used uh, to monitor. Different things like reaction time, focal awareness, uh, all these yeah. kind of different things. Um, then cognitive testing on its own, so you know measuring working memory, executive function, focus, all those things, inhibition. Um, so you you maybe do that at the start of a season, and then halfway through, then at the end, see if there's any any changes based on your interventions. And yeah. you know, there's, there's so much. I mean, like there's there's a whole it thing. Like, a like a lot. it's yeah. yeah there's one thing that I'm super interested in and if anyone wants to do the research <laughs> you can take the idea but um you know like monitoring like sweat and monitoring temperature through through you know sweat capsules or whatever or temperature mm-hmm. systems and uh, you know just find where like what where's what's kind of going on in the physiology of a player when they're um when they're playing like where's where are they sweating is it emotional str- is it psychological stress is it physical stress what like measure heart rate what kind of activity levels are they getting to during performance um you know there's so much there's yeah. literally so much you can do and um, monitoring is super important for sure and as much monitoring as you can get do it even though don't over you don't want to over fatigue them or over demotivate them or anything like that but and, you, and of course you don't want to distract them. Like any, anything you apply to the body, like minimal distraction is key.
1: Yeah. But this What is this thing clamped to my foot measuring my, like how much I'm sweating? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it sounds like
1: you, you do a lot of combination of both traditional, like self-report, like measuring their mood or their stress levels or personality mixed with a lot of physiological stuff where you're measuring I don't know heart rate, temperature, eye movement, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it, it sounds like it's more than I'm used to. <laughs> like, see, <laughs> and that that's fascinating, you know, that you then try to draw conclusions or insights from from all of those different data.
0: Yeah, well, I say I do all those things, but I don't do all those things <laughs> at once. At once, because uh, as I said, like yeah. it's it's very it is hard. It's like hard a, to. That scene from
1: Clockwork there. Orange, yeah, where they yeah, strap yeah. the guy down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess like, I mean, the the more, I guess the more like rapport and trust and uh, the, the better the relationship that you develop, hopefully over time uh, with a player and a team, the better compliance will be and the sure. more, the benefits, the greater the benefit, of course. Yeah.
1: So what is the state of of like academic research in this area? You know, there's the there there are journals dedicated to sports psychology and physiology and and all that sort of stuff. Is there a lot of it um going on related to esports specifically and and those athletes? Like what what's the state of research there?
0: Yeah, so um it's definitely an evolving field. There's a lot of research being done in different areas at the moment. And if you, if, if you go into any of the journals, um, you'll see there's a lot of new research in so many different topics, uh, in the sports domain directly related to sport athletes and um, mm-hmm. professional and not professional amateur, amateur gamers. Um, so particularly, I think there's a lot to do at the moment with injury. With, um, phys- physical interventions, uh, and, and mono- trying to get a picture of what the physiological profile of an esport athlete is. And on the flip side, then, a uh, profile of the psychological aspect of, uh, of a gamer. Um, there's also a lot of research looking at cognitive, um, abilities of gamers and trying to see if there's differences between, uh, an esport athlete and a traditional sport athlete. And, uh, so far, you know, not, m- not much, <laughs> not yeah. much, but bits, different, different, uh, different abilities um and then I guess yeah and then a big one then is mental health and burnout which is a pretty big topic at the moment in terms of um there might not be that much research on at the moment but it's a big thing in terms of you know um players announcing their retirement or their early retirement out of the blue and it's and it's to do with burnout Mm. and mental health issues and it's you know,
1: I'm going to go be a Twitch streamer instead or something.
0: Yeah, but it's a huge problem and definitely something that needs to be addressed uh, in the field. And going back to the environment, what I said before, is because sometimes of these unrelenting environments that are causing burnout and stress and and all this kind of thing, um, that players are retiring early. And it's unfortunate.
1: So how do you go about mitigating stress and burnout and and keeping that from happening? Are there any experiences you've had or do you know of any, um, research that might address that?
0: So, um, I mean, I'm not aware of any esports specific research that would, that has addressed that, but there is a lot of sports psychology research, um, to do with monitoring burnout, um, and then looking at stress and, and how people respond to stress and that kind of thing i think actually there's a recent paper out that looked at psychological and physiological stress in esports and you type that in you'll find it but i can't remember the authors um so that's one paper that i do remember but um how would i go about it i guess is so i go in um to the team environment first uh, naturally and then i would do mental health questionnaires with the players Mm -hmm. and see what kind of State baseline state they're in, and then as we talked about, I do the continuous monitoring of mood, and then you know monitor sleep, monitor their physical activity, monitor all these things that will contribute to burnout, um, like as well recovery, mental detachment from playing, and all that kind of thing. And if there are standout issues, or if they report it directly to to me or to someone else, you know. It's more, it, then I'm not, then at that point, I'm not qualified to deal with that. Mm. That's the point where you would need to refer. And sometimes, though, because of the stigma and because of all these different things, it's not, and because of the environments I talked about earlier, there isn't that trust, there isn't that openness, there isn't that support that players will actually tell you truly and honestly how they're feeling. And if they and that they are suffering from mental health issues, because, you know, a lot of the a lot, of some some sometimes like in that type of environment as well, you do have players that isolate, that don't communicate well. So you would you wouldn't really necessarily know if they are suffering from a mental health illness. And it's kind of like not until you start this monitoring process or you have this environment that they come and they talk to you. And um, that you will find out. And sometimes, more often than not, it's too late. And yeah. it's one of those times where they need, you know, they need to seek help and and professional mental health help.
1: Yeah. So how um, how do you think that this this whole esports coaching and esports consultation will grow in the coming years and evolve as like a career? And uh, you know, if somebody want, wants to get into this, what can they sort of expect? this, this profession or this scene to, to look like. And then, you know, if there's anybody out there listening and you know, we have like a lot of college students or, uh, even high school folks younger who like, I want to get into this whole psychology and video games thing. And, th- and everything that Dr. O'Keefe talked about here sounds awesome. I want to, like, I want to work towards that. Like what advice would you have for them?
0: Yeah. So, um, so I, I don't think the field right now is very regulated in terms of, you know, like getting accredited, experienced and, you know, yeah. professionals into the field. And that's one of the biggest problems, uh, I think, especially in the team environment model I talked about earlier. Like, you know, uh, and I think in the future, it is going to become a lot more regulated as it should. And uh, so that you have ex- you have professionals in the field that know, How to help and and help uh, accordingly and properly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then for anyone who wants to get into the field, um, I mean, I started off, as I said before, not knowing anything about this field. And I, in that instant, when I wanted to get involved in it, I researched what it was all about. I talked to people in the field, um, learned the language, and uh, learned just researched about what uh a, a esport athlete was all about and that's definitely something that um you should do first uh, yeah. so reach out is definitely second and uh, there's no there isn't that big of a community of there's not many people um that are acting as performance psychologists or in in professional teams so You'll find them easily if you do LinkedIn search, Twitter, and just contact them. They'll be so happy to help. You can contact me or anyone, and and I can guide you on what, um, how to go about it, and how to what to do when you go into a team and all that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then I guess uh, you know you need to you need to get a psychology degree, <laughs> um, and then whether that's psychology or sports sport and exercise psychology or occupational psychology or, or any of those domains of psychology. Um, Get yeah. one of them. <laughs> get <laughs> one of those degrees. Uh, there's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know, interestingly enough, and um, I'm not surprised, but there's so many um, new courses and qualifications you can get directly in esports. Um, <laughs> like in the UK, there's one in Staffordshire. Staffordshire. There's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, There's one there. There's a couple. Of summer, uh, some other places in the UK. And it's really starting to like, you know, become a profession. And even in Ireland, where esports isn't that big at all yet, um, we don't have any, well, we have a couple of professional teams that play in the UK, but Mm -hmm. they've, we now have scholarships for esport athletes in some, um, universities and institutes of technology here. So. And that's just a sign, as you can see, that there is a lot of more, a lot more interest in it becoming a career for people to uh, engage in. And then, of course, the last piece of advice is just take the risk, just do it, just try, go into it, fail, like, and learn when you're in there, because that's what I did. I mean, I still didn't know the language when I went in, and I had to get them to tell me all about it before I really knew. And I suppose that's what you always need to do when you start off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: So where could people find you on the internet if they wanted to, to reach out to you or find out more about what you do? You mentioned the G-Science mm-hmm. uh, company that you that you work yeah, with right yeah. now.
0: Yeah, so I'm working with G-Science right now. So if you Google G-Science, you'll easily find their platform. And if you're interested in anything that they do, you can get in touch. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way to get me. Just type my name in. And okay. you'll find me. And then I'm also on Twitter, but I'm so inactive. I wouldn't even bother, but go on, go on to LinkedIn. I'd say that's your best bet. Best bet. Have contacted me.
1: Okay, cool. Um, last question I always like to ask, have you been playing any video games lately? Anything fun or interesting or is it all work?
0: It's all work. Yeah. <laughs> it is all work. Yeah. A more no, common so.
1: answer than you might guess. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, cool. No. Well, this is this is fascinating. I love learning about new applications of psychology. It's like just one of my favorite things about having doing this podcast and this this whole psychology games project project is is learning about corners that I hadn't been exposed to before. You know, in the world of psychology, and uh, this is definitely one of them. And I think e coaching and e sports are going to continue to grow i mean that's that's not much of a controversial statement i would not think Uh, it's only going to get bigger and it's only going to get bigger stakes and Mm -hmm. you know hopefully things will will settle down to where you get some stability and some regulation that's appropriate for you know different places um and i'm glad that there are people out there like you who are who are helping make that happen so thanks for coming on i appreciate it thank you Wandern? Yoga wandern. Lass Entspannung auf Aktivität treffen, während du wunderschöne Landschaften entdeckst und perfekte Orte, an denen du mit dir und der Natur in Einklang kommst. Die passenden Outfits und Ausrüstung mit nachhaltigen Materialien für Yoga und Wandern gibt's jetzt in deiner Chibo-Filiale, im Supermarkt oder unter chibo.de. Chibo. Wirklich Gutes entdecken. Yoga wandern. Yoga wandern. Lass Entspannung auf Aktivität treffen während du wunderschöne Landschaften entdeckst und perfekte Orte, an denen du mit dir und der Natur in Einklang kommst. Die passenden Outfits und Ausrüstung mit nachhaltigen Materialien für Yoga und Wandern gibt's jetzt in deiner Chibo-Filiale, im Supermarkt oder unter chibo.de. Chibo. Wirklich gutes Entdecken.